2: is the Pack-A-Day Podcast.
3: Hello everyone and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. It is actually Sunday morning, excuse me, we recorded on Saturday so I'm thinking that way, but it is game day. It is game day in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The Green Bay Packers will take on the Buffalo Bills today at Lambeau Field coming off a pretty disappointing loss. There's been a lot of discussion about what happened in that game. I think, uh, well, we can talk a little bit about it, but the you know, there's been a lot of focus on the Clay Matthews roughing the passer play, and that's kind of taken away from just how poorly Green Bay played last week. So this is a, a bounce-back opportunity for them against a inferior opponent, coming off a big win against Minnesota last week. I'm your host today, Jacob Westendorf. If you listened last week, I was with Zach Jacobson on Saturday, Today I am not with Zach Jacobson. I am with an Ohio State Buckeye, which for those that have followed my work, you know my disdain for them. And if you really don't live in Columbus, Ohio or that area, you probably feel the same way I do. But Daniel Kortnick, and I apologize if I butchered that name, but Daniel, say hello to the people.
2: Hello, yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, well, it's Daniel Kortnick. I, I don't, I, you're not the first and you will not be the last one to ever mispronounce that last name. But I can understand why you, you said Saturday to start off the bat because we're sitting here in our <laughs> Michigan and Ohio State swag. So we're in, a, we're in a college football state of mind, but game day. Finally game day. The only You mentioned Clay Matthews' hit. It's been actually a bright spot on the week because it means that the national media is talking about the Clay Matthews' hit and not about how terrible of a game that was against Washington, which has been one of the silver linings of that.
3: Yeah, let's go over that real quick, too, because last week I talked with, I mean, I've talked with some people about how that game went, and I have the theory of every year, maybe every NFL team does it, but I don't follow every NFL team as closely as I do Green Bay, but every year since the Packers have been quarterbacked by Aaron Rodgers, coached by Mike McCarthy, at the end of the year, you'll look back and they have that game of, how in the world did they lose to that team? And so, for example, in... 2011 it was the Kansas City Chiefs and 2014 it was in Buffalo they just have games like that every single year and that's kind of what I'm hoping this game turns into but there's been a lot of overreaction to this because we don't really know if they're good or bad so Dan what do you think um what do you think took place last week and what do you think it means moving forward if anything
2: I think you may I think you kind of hit it on the head with I hope that it's gonna be just that one outlier game and yeah you brought up the Buffalo game four years ago because I was trying to think back to the last time that the Packers played Buffalo and it was that Kyle Orton game where it almost kind of has the same feeling as this one where you go into it thinking that the Packers should handle this game very easily and then Kyle Orton of all people came out and led the Bills against them. I hope it's just that one game, and for me, I don't know if it's just the optics of it, watching it on TV, that it seems like every time you go play in Washington, that field is just the absolute worst field. Maybe second to only soldier Soldier field Field, and how terrible that field holds (laughs) up. That every time you go play there, it's almost like a crapshoot about what could happen, just because that field evens everything out so much that really anything can happen there. So... You just pray that it doesn't turn into a trend.
3: Yeah, you do. And, I mean, I think that the Packers, I mean, you watch the game, they had a lot of missed opportunities. Uh, the final score was 31-17. to 17. They had several chances to cut that deficit. They had several chances to tie the game early on. They gave up 28 points in the first half, only three points in the second half, and that's starting to become a bit of a scary trend of the Packers' defense yeah. only playing well for a portion of the game. So... In Chicago, for example, they gave up 10 points on their first two drives, and it was just like that they scored. Um, The Minnesota game, they fell apart in the fourth quarter. Now, granted, a lot of that shouldn't have happened. If the Clay Matthews play is ruled correctly and Jair Alexander has an interception, none of that stuff matters. But at the same time, as Mike Pettin said, they didn't handle that very well, and they didn't. I mean, Kirk Cousins is moving up and down the field in the fourth quarter on them. Before that series, they gave up a 75-yard bomb to Stephon Diggs. It was just uh, just a rough go, and then I mentioned you know the first half in in Washington they're giving up 28 points to Alex Smith, Adrian Peterson, and Vernon Davis. If that sounds like a 2009 All-Pro team, it's because it probably was. Uh, just a rough go, a hard trend. Offensively, they're dropping passes. Randall Cobb usually pretty sure-handed. He had a couple big drops and a fumble. Devontae Adams had a drop. Aaron Rodgers didn't play that well. Uh, We'll talk about the distribution of playing time for some of the guys, too. Um, And let's actually get to that right now because last week was the first week that Aaron Jones was back. So the Packers have their full backfield stable. I think everybody would agree they have three useful running backs. Aaron Jones, obviously, I just mentioned. Ty Montgomery is a useful player. And Jamal Williams is a short yardage grinder and the best pass-protecting running back on the team, as everyone That is on Twitter will be willing to let you know at a moment's notice if you suggest he shouldn't be on the field. I like Mike McCarthy. Anybody that's listened to me knows that I feel that way about him. Uh, If there is a, a problem that you can have with him, I think one of his biggest criticisms is he becomes loyal to guys he likes, if you will. Don Barclay is an example. That was Donnie Barclay for years. That was a punchline, at least in my world. I don't know if that became a national thing or not, but it was for me uh jamal williams appears to be one of those guys and i mean dan last week they showed a graphic and tom silverstein reported the packers average almost a full yard and a half more per play with aaron jones on the field as opposed to one of the other two running backs so what what do we have to do as people outside of the organization to get the team to realize 33 needs to be the guy if you will
2: I don't know do we like start a petition or go pick it in front of lambeau field i I don't know i mean it's but it's a travesty either way that aaron jones only six carries in his first game back and i was a little extra pissed because i drafted aaron jones like in almost all of my fantasy leagues because i was trying (laughs) to be the smartest guy in the room like no guys trust me week number three he's going to come out here and he's going to be an absolute monster and so I started him in like almost all of my leagues, and I ended up getting killed by what you said, the Mike McCarthy loyalty to players. And I think also, too, just a little conservative at times. It's like, let these guys go out here and just show what they can do. I don't really care if he's hasn't seen any game action in the last two weeks. He had a full preseason of... Showing you what he's capable of. If anything, you should have been running him extra because he doesn't have the wear and tear of two weeks of football on his legs. I, I think that it's I think it's partly that that conservative mindset that can really bog down that offense. And I just hope that moving into this game, he gets more carries. I think that he probably will, just because that's how it goes. He's you know gradually goes up and up as he gets a little bit more. Mike McCarthy gets a little bit more comfortable having him back in his in his backfield, but for me it just I don't know if I don't it's one of those things where I just don't know if maybe I'm overthinking it because it just seems like so obvious that he should be getting more playing time. And it's like, am I missing something? Is there a scheme I'm not looking at? Like, you know, what am I missing that he shouldn't be getting more time?
3: Yeah, that's the part that is a little bothersome to me, is You watch the game, and you sit down, and you watch Jamal Williams, and you're like, okay. And then you watch Ty Montgomery, and you're kind of like, okay. And then Aaron Jones gets the ball, and this isn't like a scouting term or I don't have any fancy words for it. It just looks different. I don't know how to describe it, but it just looks different. He's up to speed at the drop of a hat. He finds the holes. He's creative. He finds the cutback lanes. He's easily the most (laughs) most explosive running back on this team. And, I mean, I think that he's good enough in pass protection. So, for those of you that bring that point, like, yes, Jamal Williams is a stud in pass protection. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Him stoning Anthony Barr a couple weeks ago is a perfect example. He's very good there. Ty Montgomery has his uses. That's not to say that Aaron Jones can't pass protect, because he can. He's not as good as Jamal Williams, but he's capable of pass protection, And he's good in the passing game. He's definitely more adept with his hands in catching the football if the Packers would use their runners in the passing game. That's where it gets frustrating because you watch, you know, Jones has two carries last week and his first two carries go for like 10 yards and eight yards respectively. And then you don't see him for two more series because the offense bogs down and it's somebody else's turn, if you will. McCarthy talks all the time about riding the hot hand. Um, And I think that, That is a little disingenuous just because he doesn't. I mean, if a guy has 18 yards on two carries, then that guy's your hot hand, if you will, bringing in Jamal Williams to run for three yards and two yards on consecutive carries because it's his turn, if you will. McCarthy used to always talk about this, the hot hand thing with Lacey and uh, James Starks. Uh And the hot hand, what that really meant was they rotated series. Uh, And that's, that's where it gets a little frustrating because McCarthy used to be one of the best in the world at changing formations, changing personnel. And this year they have, outside of the receiver position, the ability to do that with three running backs, two useful tight ends. And, I mean, they think Lance Kendricks is a useful tight end. That hasn't come to fruition yet. I just don't know... What needs to be done? I have him as my Twitter avatar. I call it the movement to make him running back one. So your protest thing that you're discussing, we have that set up. Um, But, I mean, it's frustrating. Now, that's not to say that the other two guys aren't useful. So what do you think are some things that the other guys can do as well? Because obviously we think, like, say, for example, if there's 60 snaps, Jones should probably be on the field for 30 of them. Uh, the other guys, I mean, it's probably not a fifteen-fifteen split, but those other two guys have some uses as well, don't they?
2: I think so. Um, for me, I'm not, I, I have not been the biggest Ty Montgomery fan the last year or so. I actually, with Chris on our on our episode on Thursday, I brought up an interesting topic that I had heard around the Detroit area, was they're talking about possibly, you know, they've got a, a, a very heavy backfields of guys that they're trying to rotate in. And the topic came up of maybe trading a guy like Amir Abdul for the Lions to the Patriots who just put their starting running back on IR. And I kind of floated the idea of a Ty Montgomery going to the Patriots just because I I don't really see where – I would fit him in in the offense because I don't really care for him much at the running back position anymore just because we have two actual running backs. I know that he did play running back, but he came in and played that position out of necessity a couple of years ago. He's a wide receiver, or at least that's where he should be, I think. And if you want to move him back to wide receiver, well, where does he fit in when you've already got this – young stable of wide receivers that you're trying to rotate in. I think if you move him back to wide receiver, you bog yourself down there, you create a bit of a log jam, and don't let those young guys get the experience. I I don't really see the place for Ty Montgomery on this offense. I would be interested to see maybe if you put in a almost run a kind of triple option style of Jones, Williams, and Rodgers in the backfield, and now you've kind of got the best of both worlds Mm -hmm. at a certain point. You have Jones as a – or excuse me, Williams as a running – the the pass blocking, and now you can maybe run a little bit of play action of option it to Jones. You can throw, set something. I I think that just creates a lot of different interesting uh, ideas and – options that you can create with both of those guys in the back though i would i would like to see both of them in there but ty montgomery for me i i've kind of had him lost in the in the mix now
3: interesting because i would have that the other way around i would put montgomery in where you had williams a spot if you think of ty montgomery as like the packers version of Dion lewis he returns mm-hmm. kickoffs he catches some passes he runs it a couple times target like 12-ish touches a game for him, similar to what the Patriots have done with Lewis, that's where I think he can be effective. If you're asking him to carry the ball 20 times a game, then I think you're setting him up to fail. Um, Yeah. I, I, I don't think the Packers would trade Montgomery as you mentioned, just because, I mean, what value can you get for a guy who I mean, he's done some exciting things But you're not trading him for like a pass rusher, for example, which is something they could use, or help at the safety position, which is something they could use. And that's actually a really good transition into the next line here. There's a story that came out today from Rob Demonski about the departure of Micah Hyde. Micah Hyde is obviously coming back as a Buffalo Bill. He was an all-pro last season as a safety. When he was in Green Bay... Whether out of necessity or out of misuse of position, which wouldn't be a surprise because they've done the same thing with Demarius Randall, for example, playing guys out of position, Micah Hyde was a slot cornerback uh, and sometimes played on the outside as well. So he's coming back, and at the time, you know, somebody asked, you know, how could the Packers let that guy walk? Uh, and what it says in there is at the time, Ted Thompson was, quote, not at his peak, which I think we all kind of knew to some degree at least, yeah. And he was relying on Russ Ball, the salary cap guy, with no scouting background to make decisions like that. Of Basically, can they fit him under the cap? Not prioritizing him as a player, but fitting him under the cap. To me, here's my thing. Micah Hyde, I think, was a average to above-average player in Green Bay. I think a lot has been made of him walking as if they let Darrell Revis walk. And that's the part where I get a little, a little bothered. Uh, because... Yes, Hyde had some really big plays. He had a huge play in that Cowboys game for example in the playoffs. He had the interception on Dak Prescott. He was good around the ball. He was a good punt returner during his time in Green Bay. He was a useful player Uh, but for every one of those plays you could see like something that reminds me of him as well is that year where they played the Cowboys, ran the table and uh, played the Cowboys in the playoffs. They played Washington before that and What they did there was, excuse me, actually, this is the year prior, not that year. So the year prior, Hyde was covering Deshaun Jackson in the slot. And it wasn't even a competition. Like, Jackson ran right by him. It was a straight-go route. He didn't shake him, anything like that. The Packers clearly needed to get some younger speed on the defense. And I think eventually, once Jair Alexander develops, you'll kind of see exactly what what that vision of theirs was. It just didn't work for them since Hyde's been gone for a few reasons. But they needed some younger speed on the field, and Hyde didn't fit. Like, he's not fast. He's not quick. He's just kind of a a solid football player, if you will. Now, if they could have gotten him back for, like, I think he ended up getting five years, $32 million from Buffalo. If they could have gotten him back for, like, the Morgan Burnett deal in uh, Pittsburgh, three years, fifteen mil. that, I think, would have been doable. Uh, But anything above that, I personally don't have a problem with them letting him walk because he wasn't going to play safety. Now, the hard part about that is now you look at the state of the Packers' safety position, obviously they could use Micah Hyde back there, but it's not like a one-for-one switch because as soon as Hyde left, they drafted Josh Jones in the second round. They had higher hopes for him. For whatever reason, that hasn't worked out yet, and it may not ever. We don't know. Kentrell Bryce, they clearly like him quite a bit for reasons I'm not sure of. Clinton Dix was a first round pick coming off of a Pro Bowl season. Now you can say what you want about the Pro Bowl process and I understand that but he had a pretty good year that year Um, but what really speaks to me there Dan is that Ted Thompson essentially ceded control and the Packers have been operating under a different general manager in essence for a few seasons. What that says to me is I like Ted Thompson? I think he done a good. He did a good job in Green Bay. He built a Super Bowl team. He drafted Aaron Rodgers. He knew when to move on to Aaron Rodgers. The problem I have with that is the Packers, for whatever their reasons were, and we may never know what they are. But if this guy is seeding control and not the guy anymore, you need to move on. And I think the Packers should have moved on from him when that time started to be evident. You could have hired Russ Ball. You could have hired uh, Brian Gutekunst, as they did eventually. Or Elliot Wolf. They had guys in house. They wanted those guys to be the general manager. It didn't work out. What does that say to you that he basically gave control of Russ Ball? Because my concern is the guy that has no scouting background. And it was the same concern I had when they were talking about hiring him. How much damage has he done in that short time frame moving forward?
2: Well, I think you can. I think it kind of shows, and I think it makes a lot of those other decisions like letting Casey Hayward walk uh, you know letting TJ Lang walk now obviously TJ Lang not at the same level but i mean right now how much would you kind of give to have a TJ Lang sitting in your offensive line right now i think that for me it's one of those things that the packers are kind of it's their double edged sword is loyalty Yep. We kind of mentioned it with Mike McCarthy there and the playing style and I think it goes all the way through the organization is there's this this unquestionable loyalty that the Packers have to some players and to some people. And yeah, Ted Thompson did a great job. And we you you could have even seen it with Dom Capers a little bit too. I know that's yep. a bit of a, a hot button issue with a lot of people about when he should have been when he should have been gone and same thing with Ted Thompson. And I think there's just a little bit of an issue with loyalty sometimes is they've done a great job and you know they aren't terrible so why don't they just stick around and they can still make things happen but it just it it bogs you down again and it, it creates this this environment where things aren't able to flourish when you've got young guys in the front office like ball like gutta like reggie mckenzie who leaves for oakland those guys don't get a chance to flourish and it makes things very stale. And I think that's what you saw is Ted Thompson kind of got a pass on a lot of things because Aaron Rodgers was able to make a lot of things work really well. And so there was never a pressure to freshen things up a little bit. And now I think you've kind of found yourself in a position where you're trying to freshen things up with a quarterback who is still playing at an elite level, but is in the second half maybe even the third quarter of his season and his career
3: yeah yeah i think that's a fair point i think you know we were talking about a college football state of mind for example what you were saying kind of reminded me of university of michigan has this thought of a michigan man has to be their coach and when right. you think that way that's how you hire guys like brady hoke and with all due respect brady hoke was a bad hire i mean guys like dom capers he's been in green bay they were loyal to him They were loyal to Ted Thompson for a while, which I understand. So let's use some hindsight history here. Obviously, now we know. I would have moved on from Dom Capers after the 2014 season. And I know that sounds crazy because they were in the NFC title game and a collapse away from going to and maybe being favored to win that Super Bowl. They'd already beaten New England. I thought there was more talent on the roster than what was being utilized. Ted Thompson... I would have moved on after 2015, which was the year they lost to Arizona in the playoffs. To me, there's no reason for... Like you see, for example, this week, the difference in general managers. And I'm not saying Brian Brian Gutekunst is perfect, because he certainly had uh, some open issues left on the roster. Now that may be because they didn't like the guys that were out there, but edge, safety, there's examples of positions they've neglected, so to speak. But he signs Bashad Breeland this week and because Devon House is hurt. Where I know for a fact, if Ted Thompson was still the general manager, we're talking about how Herb Waters could potentially be a decent player or some random practice squad guy you've never heard of becoming a prominent player. That's how you end up with guys like Ladarius Gunter covering Julio Jones in the NFC Championship game. What the, what Ted Thompson did to the Packers' defense in 2016 was, I call it defensive genocide. I mean... His, his starting corners got hurt. He didn't sign any cornerbacks. I mean, with all due respect to the guys that came in, they did everything they could. I think Gunter gets piled on for, I mean, a lot of things, but he never should have been in that position to where he's covering Odell Beckham, Des Bryant, and Julio Jones in three straight weeks. Signing a guy like an example that year would have been Brandon Browner or Byron Maxwell or just somebody that has some experience and could get by on that instead of – a young player who, I mean, I know the undrafted stories are great, but those guys are undrafted for a reason. Um, And that's where I think this Breland signing, which we haven't talked about, um, I think it could pay some dividends. And even if it pays none, um, at least the Packers are doing something to add to a position where Gutekunst saw, okay, House is hurt. Kevin King is already hurt. House is going to go on injured reserve. We are one turned ankle away from whoever, some random cornerback playing prominent snaps or having to play safeties like Jermaine Whitehead in the slot, which they did at points during that. It's just it's not good for the defense. Uh, that's when I would have moved on from him. But, uh, Dan, when I mean, again, this is hindsight, so you're just going to have to right. take a word for this, but when would you have moved on from those two guys? Capers and Thompson are the two hot buttons. That's what we're going to go with.
2: I mean, this is, this is tough for me because I fell on the sword a lot for those two guys uh, in those – couple of years after the Super Bowl like around that 2012 2013-14 season when I had my whole family shouting down that Capers needs to be fired and I fell on the sword for that guy and for Ted Thompson I honestly it would have been right around the Seattle the Seattle National Championship game (laughs) just because if I'm looking back on it hindsight and what it would have meant for the four, the next four years after that, that's four years of better drafting, and hopefully, Aaron Rodgers doesn't, or you you can better plan for what happened to Aaron Rodgers in those next four years. A couple of injuries that have happened. I think if you're looking, I, I wouldn't have made it then because. Obviously, I was, I was still a big homer, and I think it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to do. People wanted something to happen after that NFC Championship game. They wanted heads to roll, and I, I think it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction then, but looking back on it, that's when I would have pulled the trigger on those two. And I think also you mentioned not bringing in a defensive player like that. I think the problem with that, too, was that Dom Capers' defense was so – complicated. Yep. There were so many things that you had to get in that a guy like PerSean Breeland coming into this that defense if it was right now he's not playing for maybe the next week or two just because he has to try and learn what all of these different coverages and different things mean when Mike Petton's defense yeah it's a little bit more maybe it's not as maybe it's not as uh, you know sophisticated as Don Capers but it lets the players kind of find themselves a little bit easier. And you can make big switches like that if if guys go down and get hurt and you can plug and play guys a little bit more easier.
3: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I I didn't even think about it now that I'm going back to things. uh, The first Kaepernick playoff game, I probably wouldn't have axed capers, but the second one one definitely would have at least – it would have been a strong consideration after the first one, but the second one definitely. uh, But that's – that's a that's a separate topic. We're running we're running a little short on time here, so let's go to the game tomorrow. Obviously, what do you think is the biggest matchup? Buffalo won last week in Minnesota, twenty seven to six, and really it was a dominating performance from start to finish for them. I was stunned. I had that game on my other television as I was watching the Packers. Buffalo, I thought, was the worst team in the NFL after the first two weeks of the season. Uh, it appears, again, it's a week-to-week league, so that may still very well prove to be true, but they have some players. Lorenzo Alexander is good, Tradavius White, Jerry Hughes, LaShawn McCoy. They have some guys that can give the Packers problems. What do you think, Dan, is the biggest matchup for tomorrow, and who are you picking to win?
2: Well, uh, before that, last week, yeah, I, that was, I thought that was going to be my biggest bright spot was... Buffalo beating Minnesota because in my Survivor League, about 50% of the people left in our league picked the Vikings. And I was like, perfect. I'm going to move on and there's going to be 10 people left. And I picked Jacksonville to beat the Tennessee Titans, who lost 9-6 as I'm sitting there watching them lose and on the other screen watch the Packers do what they were doing. I think the biggest thing for today, and it's been probably the last – Couple of weeks is the offensive line against this front seven for Buffalo. You've got to be able to find a way to keep Aaron Rodgers upright. I don't care if I, I don't care what kind of offense you're going to run, it has to be something where Aaron Rodgers is not having to run for his life every other play to try and make some kind of play happen. The injuries still plaguing that offensive line. Belaga, they say, is going to try and give it a go for this week. I don't know how healthy he can be anymore just because I was already surprised that he came back as quick as he did from that ACL, and now you're dealing with a back injury. I think it's that you've got to control that front seven. If you could do that, the, uh, the run game starts working. Aaron stays upright and a little bit healthy. I think hopefully that the last last week was a bit of a wake-up call to not sleep on Buffalo, so I hope that they come out and play with a little bit more concentration and focus in this game. I still think the Packers win this game. I think it could be a game that ends up being a lot closer than it probably should be, at least when you look at it on paper, but I think Green Bay still comes out on top.
3: That's fair. Uh, I, I'm actually going to go on the defensive side of the ball. I think you're playing a rookie quarterback. I mean, I know that the narrative is that he played well last week because they scored 27 points against Minnesota's defense. Minnesota's offense was so bad last week. They were inside the Vikings 40, it felt like, for the majority of the game. Allen didn't – it's not like he was beating them down the field. He had one big play down the field to the tight end. This is a guy who, if you're going to be a good defense, I always say, you know, you have to make your layups, if you will. Yeah. This is a bad quarterback. Uh, or at least a rook inexperienced rookie quarterback. This is somebody you got to have two or three turnovers against. This is somebody make make the game a little bit easier for an offense that's still kind of finding its way. I know that you know we've talked about slow starts. We've talked about years they've started slow 2010 they were 3 and 3, 2014 they were 1 and 2. Roger says relax and they end up being the best offense in football. I don't think you're going to see that this week, but I do think Green Bay should win this game handily. Uh, I'm not talking like 42 to nothing, or what is it? Corey Banks 60 to nothing every week. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go that far, but I mean, I'm I'm thinking like 37, 14. That's how they should win this game. I still have faith in the current structure, the quarterback, the head coach, to correct the issues that have taken place. And I think the defensive coordinator. If there was a game to put a full game together, this yeah. is the one to do it. So I like Green Bay to win. And I like him to win relatively big. Uh, I think, you know, the field conditions, I don't know how much that's going to matter. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Tonight, here's a bonus. So you guys are listening to this Sunday morning, so you're going to know if we were right or wrong or not. But tonight, the Ohio State Buckeyes will invade Creepy Valley and take on the Penn State (laughs) Nittany Lions. Dan, who's going to win? That might be the matchup that decides the Big Ten champion.
2: It very well could. I would feel a lot better about this game. If Nick Bosa was going to be playing...
3: That's future Green Bay Packer Nick Bosa.
2: I am am riding Nick Bosa in green and gold train. I am the conductor of that train. Um, I always just have the worst feeling about playing in Penn State and Iowa. I have the worst feeling playing in those games because anything can happen when you play there. I still think that Ohio State comes out on top... I think it turns into a bit of a shootout just because Trace McSorley, I think, is the best quarterback in the Big Ten right now. I Haskins could be next year, but, I mean, the guy is still very raw. He hasn't really faced a test yet like Penn State. So I, I still like Ohio State. Not huge because they never really go out and win huge in these games like this, but I'll still take Ohio State.
3: So there you go. He likes the Buckeyes to win. Uh, you guys will know whether or not that turned out to be true uh, by the time you've listened to the show. But thank you guys for listening in to Pack A Day. Follow us. It's at Pack A Day Podcast. You can follow me personally. I am at Jacob Westendorf. And announcement for myself is I will be doing this every Saturday now with Zach Jacobson, who I was with last week. He's out today. So that's why I have the pleasure of Mr. Kottnick's company today. Did I get it right that time? Yeah, you got it. I did. There down. we go. See? Just give me two <laughs> give me two chances. I'll get it right the second one. Uh, but I'll be here every Saturday for you guys breaking down games with the exception of next Saturday I will be in Detroit uh, to watch the Packers take on the Detroit Lions. That is my bachelor party. So uh, big excitement. Where are, you,
2: where are you going cuz I, I live in Detroit. I'm I'm uh, I'm looking at Ford Field right now oh so. yeah we'll be at
3: yeah, ford, ford field ford. so i might have to ask we're, you where, for, are you, where are you
2: going for the ba- are you doing any of the other stuff around it oh yeah we
3: might have to ask you for some input then after we're done here so there you go I'd that'll be, be up, awesome yeah. okay that'll be cool then and uh yeah dan tell us where we can find you on twitter and all your other stuff
2: uh you can follow me and at me after if the ohio state plays poorly tonight on twitter at dk all the way
3: DK, all the way there you go. I'm at Jacob Westendorf Thank you guys for listening in to this version of Pack-A-Day and Go Pack Go.
2: Go Pack Go.
0: Six seconds to go. Ball just outside of the four. Roger Shotgun looks to his right. Snap to A-Rod. Throws right side. Yes! yes! Touchdown! And a
1: dagger! A dagger to Andrew Paulus on the right side!
0: Aaron pointing to the right now. Gets the snap. Looking through out of the end zone. Leaping right yes. yes. to Matti Adams. Yes! Takes down Green Bay! A spectacular throw and catch to the left side of the end zone. Rodgers from the 42 New York, fourth down and two. Snapped a rock, Looking downfield, scrambles right. Now winds up, rainbows into the end zone. It is caught! This right is the end
2: zone